Lord's Day 12. You can find it if you wish to follow along on page 213 in the Book of Forms and Prayers and 877 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Lord's Day 12, just question and answer 31. Why is Jesus called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. And then this particularly, our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance he has won for us. And then if you turn to the Holy Word of God, to Hebrews chapter 9, you'll find that on page 1,281. Hebrews 9, page 1,281 And I'll read the first 15 verses. I mentioned a couple of Lord's Days ago that in the weeks leading up to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, I wanted to focus on cross purposes, that is, the purposes of the cross. And two Lord's Days ago, we looked at the cross as the place of redemption. Today, I want to highlight, or at least this morning, the cross as the place of sacrifice. And then this evening, the cross as the place of propitiation. So first, uh, let's listen to the Word of God. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes." And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared, 
as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Children, I want to take you with me back some hundreds of years to the time when Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, lived. It is a special day on the calendar. It is the Day of Atonement, or as the Israelites would call it, Yom Kippur. This was a great day because you didn't have to go to school today. You didn't have to do any of the chores at home. It was a holiday. And you were with your family standing at the tabernacle, that tent that God had instructed Moses to make, and where all the sacrifices uh, took place. And as you're standing there, you hear the lowing of cattle, the bleeding of sheep and goats, and you wonder, what is going on? All of a sudden, Aaron appears. He's wearing a white robe. He's wrapped around his waist, and, and around his head, he has a towel wrapped, a linen cloth. It's a turban. And then you see him go up to a bull and cut its throat and take some of the blood, and he disappears for a while. You wonder where he's gone, but, but your father tells you that he's actually going into the most holy place. Remember, there was the two sections of the temple or the tabernacle, the holy place, and then the most holy place. And in that most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant and an altar of incense. So he would go there with some fire and some incense and burn the incense and then sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And then he would come out again. And then he would go over to one of the goats. He would take blood from that goat and disappear once more. You wonder where he is, but your father says, no, he's in the same place. He's going to the most holy place once more. The first time he sprinkled blood, which was for his own sins and the sins of his family. But now he takes blood and sprinkles it on the ark for the sins of the whole congregation, the whole people of Israel. And you wait, and sure enough, he comes out once more. And then he goes to another goat, and he leans on that goat with two hands, and you hear him saying something, but you don't quite know what he's saying. But your mother tells you, He's confessing the iniquities, the transgressions, the sins of all the people. And he does that as he places his hand on the goat, and then someone else takes that goat and leaves, takes that goat out into the wilderness. 
It's kind of exciting, don't you think, to hear all those animals and to see all those rituals and the fancy clothes that the high priest would wear. I mean, compared to what children back then experienced, Sunday worship is kind of boring, you might think. No animals here. Of course, it would be that nice to see the animals getting killed, nor would it be that nice actually to smell them, but it would be interesting to see the fancy clothes that the high priest was wearing. We, we don't do that kind of stuff. There's no animal sacrifices here. I'm not a priest. So why don't we do those sorts of things any longer? Why is there no shedding of blood anymore and the killing of animals and the entrance into the most holy place? What has happened so that all of that is just something done in the past and is no longer done in the present? Well, the answer to that question is very simple. Christ came. And when Christ came, all of the Old Testament sacrifices were done away with. They were no longer necessary because, as we read, Christ is the sacrifice for his people. That's one of the purposes of the cross, that Christ died as a sacrifice. This language of sacrifice is all over the New Testament Scriptures. You might remember in John's Gospel how John the Baptist sees the Lord Jesus walking by and says, Behold, take a look at him. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then the Apostle Paul talks about Jesus giving his life as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And here in Hebrews 9, we've read of the close connection that there is between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Old Testament sacrifices. Christ is a sacrifice. He's just a greater one, a better one than all the Old Testament sacrifices. And he's the sacrifice that renders all the other sacrifices of no value anymore. He is the one sacrifice for sinners and he is the final sacrifice for sinners. But perhaps we ought to back up for a question for a moment here. Why is there a need for sacrifices anyways? What, what is wrong with this world, and what is wrong with humans that sacrifices need to be made? Well, I think we can answer that question most helpfully by just thinking about this, that sacrifice is a post fall phenomena. That is, before Adam and Eve fell into sin, there was no need for sacrifice. There was no killing. There was no shedding of blood. There was no substitution at all. Sacrifice happened once Adam and Eve sinned against God. And so what we see is that sacrifice is God's response to human rebellion and sin. It is God's way of ensuring that rather than destroying sinners because of their disobedience, that those sinners can have fellowship and communion with God, that God could delight in them and they could delight in God. And so you see that God is actually the the first one in the Bible to make a sacrifice for sinners. You remember after Adam and Eve sinned against God, uh, God came into the garden in the cool of the day, and, and Adam and Eve hid from God. 
they realized once they sinned that they were naked, and so they went about making a covering for themselves with fig leaves. But God recognized that that covering was insufficient. And so after he had promised that a Redeemer would come who would crush the head of the serpent, and after he drove them out from the garden because of their sin, God provided a garment of animal skins to make clothes for them. And there's the first sacrifice. The animals died instead of Adam and Eve dying. And it was by their death or the animal's death as a substitute that God was able to cover over the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And that sacrifice, the first sacrifice in the Garden of Eden, is elaborated on in the Old Testament with all of the rituals that God had commanded the Israelites to have for the forgiveness of their sins. You can read about it in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Leviticus, that book that always stops you or threatens to stop you from your endeavor to read through the whole Old Testament and New Testament in one year. But in the book of Leviticus, there are all kinds of offerings and rituals uh, given to us or given to Israel that they had to follow so that God and his people could remain in fellowship. You see, the sacrifices presuppose that sin has entered into the world and that sin separates us from God, that sin calls upon us the judgment and punishment of God. And so in the Old Testament, the, especially on the Day of Atonement, every day there were sacrifice, sacrifices, but especially on the Day of Atonement, there was this ritual that highlighted that God and sinners could be reconciled through the sacrifice of an animal. At least it was a symbolic representation of the unity and communion between God and his people. And so as we read, the high priest Aaron, as the representative of the people, would take blood of a bull for his own sins and his family's sins and the blood of a goat for the sins of Israel, and he would take that blood into the most holy place. It's referred to here in Hebrews 9 as well, that the high priest could only go into the most holy place, into the second section, once a year, and never without taking blood. And that once a year was the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16 tells us about that day. And the blood was there to purify the tabernacle and the altars in order that God could have fellowship with his people so that God would not have to leave his people because of the impurity of the situation, because of human sin and rebellion. And so the bull and the goat, they would be killed. Their blood would be taken as a purification into the most holy place. And it would symbolize that through the shedding of blood, a holy God and a sinful people could have fellowship. They could be at one, that the sin which separated them would no longer be a problem that God could dwell in the midst of his people and shower his blessings and the presence of his grace upon the people. And then 
the, the, the high priest, Aaron, would confess his sins or, and the sins of the people uh, with his hands on the head of that one goat. And that goat, that scapegoat, would be taken away, symbolizing that through blood uh, the sins of God's people were taken away. But the important thing to remember in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 16, that this was instituted as an annual ritual. It was an annual holiday, this Day of Atonement. And the reason it had to be repeated year after year is because the blood of animals could never really deal effectively with sin. It could symbolize how sin was going to be dealt with. It could help in reconciling God and humans at a physical level, at a ceremonial level, but it could never really deal with the problem of the human heart and sin and the guilty conscience before God. That's why it had to be repeated every year. But then Christ comes. Christ appears. Christ comes on the scene. And when Christ comes on the scene, he does that fulfillment of the Day of Atonement ritual. Notice what it says there in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9. Christ appeared as a high priest, just like Aaron was a high priest. And then Christ appeared through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places. So imagine the tabernacle. Usually we think of the tabernacle as uh, on this plane. But now stand the tabernacle on end. You have the outer court, you have the holy place, and then you have the most holy place. And those are the three regions of this earth. There's the earth, there's the sky that you see, and then there's heaven. And so the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was represented heaven itself. It was a copy of of the heavenly tabernacle, the real deal, that the tent was made by human hands in this creation. But God is in heaven in the most holy place, and he is symbolized in the Ark of the Covenant. And so what Hebrews is telling us is that that Christ entered not into the most holy place of the earthly tabernacle, but he entered into the most holy place, into the very presence of God, in the heavens of heavens. Christ enters into the real, the thorough, the actual presence of God. And notice that he enters through blood. This time it's not the blood of bulls or the blood of goats, but he enters once for all into the holy places not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but the, by the means of his own blood. So Aaron would take an animal, and that animal would be sacrificed, and its blood brought into the most holy place. And Christ is the fulfillment of those Old Testament sacrifices. He is the once-for-all sacrifice He is the one who is the substitute for sinners. Because on the cross as he dies, he dies, as Peter says, the righteous, the sinless one, for the unrighteous, for sinners, in order to bring them to God. 
He dies as the substitute for sinners. But here's the remarkable thing that makes Jesus stand completely apart from the Old Testament sacrifices. And that is that not only is Jesus the sacrifice, he is also the sacrificer. So if you had gone up to the calves and the goats and the bulls in the Old Testament and asked them if they really wanted to be sacrificed uh, for the sins of the people, well, they wouldn't answer in the first place, but even if they did answer and said no, it wouldn't matter. They were brought uh, to death by the high priest. But the wonderful thing about our Lord Jesus is that he goes to the cross willingly. He doesn't go simply a victim. He is the victim, that is, he dies as a substitute, but he goes as the one who offers himself as the substitute. You can see this in uh, verse 12. He entered once for all uh, by the means of his own blood. And then look at verse 14. It speaks about how Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God. Christ is not only the sacrifice, he is the sacrificer. He offers himself on the cross for sinners. You can see this uh, portrayed in the New Testament in the gospel accounts of Jesus' death. It wasn't so much that the soldiers arrested him as if he were some helpless victim. Now remember how he first prays with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he says to them, we need to get going because my betrayer is at hand. So that Jesus, in triumphant power, in uh, in a mighty, voluntary offering up of himself, he goes out to meet his betrayer. They don't need all the swords and clubs to arrest him. Jesus gives himself willingly to the cross. That's why he can say in John 10, no one takes my life, but I lay my life down for the sheep. He is the sacrifice, and he is the sacrificer And by his own blood, he enters into the most holy place. And because he takes his blood into the most holy place, into the presence of a holy God, we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have our sins forgiven. Look at what it says in verse 12, that he, by means of his own blood, entered into the most holy places, thus securing an eternal redemption. The sacrifice of Christ does not need to be repeated. That is why we celebrate the death of the Lord Jesus on Friday, but we don't re-sacrifice the Lord Jesus as they do in the Roman Catholic Mass. The sacrifice has been made, and it's an absolutely perfect sacrifice. It doesn't need to be repeated. It's a once-for-all sacrifice, as Hebrew says. God the Father smells the aroma of the sacrifice, Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 2. And it's pleasant. He's happy with it. Our Lord Jesus, uh, the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 1, verse 3, after he had made the sacrifice, he sits down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high because the Lord Jesus is absolutely satisfied with it. He knows 
that when he said, it is finished, it really was finished, that nothing more needed to be done in order uh, to reconcile God and humanity. His blood was sufficient. It is by his blood that he redeems us from our sins, uh, it says in Revelation 1 verse 5. And that's the significance of that scapegoat. Remember, children, how the priest would lay his hands on that one goat, and then the goat would be carried, would, would be led away into the wilderness. That, that symbolized that the removal of our sins. So that Jesus is, as John says, really the one who takes our sins away. And where does he take them? Well, he takes them into the sea so that they can be hurled into the sea. He takes them to the place where God, the judge of all the earth, tramples them underfoot. He takes them to the east. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He takes our sins away from us so that they never bother us again and so they can never be used against us. This is what our Lord Jesus Christ has done as the great sacrifice for sin. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament could never really cleanse our conscience and make us right with God. But the one sacrifice of the Son of God, giving it an infinite value because it's the Son of God who dies for sinners, that one sacrifice cleanses completely and thoroughly all of our sins so that we can have fellowship with a holy God, so that we can delight in Him and He can delight in us and we can enjoy His favor for all eternity. Christ is the sacrifice. That's one of the cross purposes. So what do you do now with this? With this grand truth of Christ, the sacrificial offering and the sacrificer. Well, the first thing that you do is that you receive the sacrifice of Christ for yourself. How do you do that, you ask? How do you make sure that the sacrifice of Christ is for you? That his blood covers your sins and not just the sins of others. Well, I think we're given a wonderful picture of that in, in what the high priest did in the Old Testament. He places his hands on, on the head of the, the goat, and when he does that, he confesses the iniquities, the transgressions, the sins of the people of God. And, and when he confesses them, then, then the sins are actually transferred over to the goat. That, that's the symbolism and I think it's a wonderful picture to, to help us understand what it means to, to share in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to place your hands upon the head of the Lord Jesus and to confess your sins. Certainly you have sins that you need to confess, sins of the mind, sins of the heart, of your action, of your thoughts, of your words. Certainly, you have displeased the Lord in, in, in a myriad of ways. There's, there's lots for you to confess. You, you, you won't be lost for words when you confess your sin. But if you take your hands and confess your sins 
and transfer them to the Lord Jesus Christ, the willing sacrifice for his people, then he'll receive them, those sins, as, as if they were his own. He'll, be, he'll take responsibility for them, and he'll take the punishment that your sins deserve. It really is a wonderful transaction that you confess your sins, and he takes your sins and then dies for them so that you might have life. So be sure that you have done that. And do that continually because we continually sin. Appeal to the Lord Jesus Christ to be your lamb. Confess that you like sheep have gone astray and ask that the Lord would lay your iniquities upon Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So receive his sacrifice and then be a sacrifice. Notice what it says here in Hebrews chapter 9, that Christ, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So that if you know your sins are forgiven by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will offer your body as a living sacrifice to him. That's what the blood of Christ does. It doesn't just take care of the guilt of your sin, but it actually takes care of the power of your sin. It transforms you so that you're able to please the Lord and to offer yourself as a sacrifice of praise to him. And so do that. Live for the Lord Jesus. Give your life for him. Serve him in all that you do. It's not without its difficulties and challenges. If you've ever tried to do so, you know how hard it is. You know the temptations of the devil. You know the lusts and the lingering sin that is within you that makes it hard to live faithfully before the Lord. But it's a, it's a battle worth living it's a life worth pursuing. Some of you will know the name of uh, David Livingston, the great Scottish explorer and missionary in Africa in the 1800s. Near the end of his life, he reflects upon his service to the Lord. It was arduous labor for him. He faced a great many privations and dangers and troubles and tribulations, separated from his family and children, uh, subject to slander and abuse. And as he looks over his whole life with all of the difficulties of it, you know what he said? Don't talk about sacrifice, he says. Talk about privilege. It has been an honor, a joy to serve the Lord, the one who has given himself for me. I gladly would serve him. In fact, he says, I never made a sacrifice at all. And as you are animated by the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ and his self-giving for you, in his willingness to be your sacrifice to reconcile you to God so that you might have fellowship with the Holy One and live without fear in his presence, then you will really understand what Livingston was saying. You've never made a sacrifice. You've never made a sacrifice because Christ has made the sacrifice 
and there's nothing you need to do to reconcile yourself to God. He has done it all. And you've never made a sacrifice as difficult and challenging as the Christian life is because it's been a privilege, it's been a joy to serve the living God, the one who has given himself in his son, Jesus Christ. That's one of the purposes of the cross. Christ came to die as a sacrifice to bring us to God. Let us pray together. Our good and gracious God, we thank you that you have not left us to our own misery, self-imposed as it was, but that you pitied us, that you gave your Son, who gave his life as a sacrifice for sin. And we pray that you would give us eyes, that we might see the, the wonder and glory of what the Lord Jesus has done, that we would see him as strong and kind. And he has shown that by his death on the cross in our place. We pray for those who have no sacrifice yet, who are still at odds with you, and pray that you would alarm them and that you would draw them with cords of love to this Lord Jesus Christ, that they might place their hands upon his head, confessing their sins and knowing the eternal redemption that he has secured by means of his own blood. And we pray that you would strengthen us day by day, that we might be so enraptured with the Lord Jesus Christ that we would count it all joy to give our lives without reservation for his service and for your praise. Hear us, our God and Father, through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.